0: Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy, and I'm Jenny. And today we're talking about Surviving the Apple Whites, which was a 2003 Newberry Honor and written by Stephanie Tolan.
1: Tolan features pierced and spike-haired Jake, who has been expelled from every possible public school before his unwilling arrival at Wits End, North Carolina, and the homeschool run by the chaotic and outrageous Applewhite family. The eccentric characters and fast-paced culminate in a hilarious musical production that forces Jake to grow. And this is from the 2011 Newbery Awards uh, and Caldecott Award publication, uh, put out by ALA and edited by KT Horning.
0: I don't know that the sound of music is hilarious.
1: I think the way they do it is hilarious. I guess so. Yeah, I mean they end up, I mean, and they end up doing a lot of it ad hoc. So uh, yeah, let's talk about the book. What did you like about it, Mercy?
0: Well, so I didn't. <gasps> oh my gosh! I don't <laughs> love it. I know. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I knew you just, were going to get
1: upset. <laughs> I'm not so upset. I just am surprised because I really like this book, and I like it for a lot of the same reasons that I like Hollis Woods. And so it's really funny to me that you wouldn't you wouldn't also really love it. So yeah, no, let's let's get into it. Yeah, no,
0: I don't hate it. I think it's very readable. I just had some things that didn't quite sit right. So let's maybe talk about what the book is about first. Okay. So. This kid, Jake Semple, who is sort of a juvenile delinquent and is rumored to have burned down one of his previous schools, uh, is kicked out of so many schools that the only place he can go is this place called Wits End, which is a homeschool run by the Applewhite family who are all artists and kooky and whimsical, and, and they do sort of an unschool rather than even a, a straight-up homeschool.
1: So in the midst of all these free-spirited artists... There is um, a young girl named Edie, um, and she is like a Lisa Simpson type of character. She's very measured. She has given herself, in this unschooling environment, she's given herself lessons, um, and she does a lot of educational things on her own, and probably would be, is, probably is, well, She is very suited to actually going to school, and probably would go to school if she could get there by herself. But they live out in the woods, Um, so she's kind of stranded. And she sees Jake's arrival as adding to more to the chaos, and she's very upset by it. Plus, Jake is kind of a jerk. He is a jerk. Like that, so
0: here's one of the things that actually bothers me is that he is very self aware about being a jerk, like way more than most 13 year old boys. So he's like very aware of the fact that he does things for shock value and he's like weighing and measuring like his effect on different people and his effect on ED and the rest of the family and comparing it to previous things. And that just doesn't seem very realistic to me. Like, I, th- hmm. I think most 13 year old boys who are being jerks are like just being jerks because they're feeling like being jerks and not because they're sitting there examining the effects. If
1: that makes sense. I don't know. I'm I mean I get what you're saying, but I also think that the Jake that he emerges and the Jake that he ends up being shows that he is a very thoughtful person. So even if he was using it for bad, he would still be putting thought into it. I think that's how I read it.
0: I guess so. (laughs) (laughs)
1: but I do I mean I do I guess for me when I think about when I was a teen like I do I think I expected him to be a little older right well and so
0: and then age was another another point for me this book reads like it's made for What do you think? Like
1: fourth graders? I would say fourth, fifth, sixth. Yeah.
0: Okay. So it, it reads like a book for slightly younger kids, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's not appropriate for the reading level that you're at. Mm, They're not saying the bad words, but like they will not let up mentioning that they're cursing or smoking or, you know what I mean?
1: I, I get what you're saying, but I also think that, you know, kids don't live in a vacuum. Um, and so, you know, I think kids are, is, are doing these things at that age. And I think they're exposed to that stuff at, at even earlier ages. There are some kids that are. So I don't really see that as being problematic from my perspective. I guess
0: that's not exactly what I mean. Like
1: I'm not expressing
0: this very well. I know that kids are doing that and kids are exposed to that. And that's not exactly what I object to. It's sort of the slightly preachy tone of them being so obviously bad okay you know what i mean like when he's talking about um when they mention about his his parents being in jail for growing marijuana like they call them criminal element and obviously that's why you're a delinquent and so terrible so terrible and like how shocking the language is and the repeated thing about snatching cigarettes out of people's hands. I don't know. It's just like they're so clearly censuring him for this behavior that it's not like they're saying this behavior happens and it just happens. They're saying this happens and it's bad. It makes you a delinquent. So you thinking you're you're saying more
1: that like it's like moral judgment.
0: Yeah. Like if something is bad, then portray it as bad without just like repeating like repeatedly just sort of grinding it in your face that it's bad and it makes you a bad person.
1: Well, I think for me, one of the things that I was surprised by, I mean, it didn't take away from the book for me, but I, along those lines is that for as free spirited and artistic as this family is, and as kind of kooky as it's portrayed, they do have a really pretty traditional, like traditional Americana, like structure, family structure and moral ideas. Yeah. And so that is interesting to me that they'd have kind of a commune, but they're not really hippies. No, no. They seem
0: very, like, straight edge not exactly the right word. But it just seems unrealistic to portray a kid in that way as being, like, this delinquent who drinks and smokes and curses and all that. And then they are all very uh, morally upstanding, kind of, except for this parrot that they have that curses all the time.
1: <laughs> I bet the parrot would smoke, too, if it could. <laughs> yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I think that I think that's one of the things that makes these characters unlike other characters I've seen, which when I was reading it, I felt very like you know, at first I was like, Oh, I can just kind of insert these other characters that I have you know, I can insert what I think these characters look like and what they're like based on other things I've experienced in this, you know, other people have experienced as characters in books. Mm-hmm. And that was that was one of the things that I found interesting. That I had to keep replacing that and being like, no, okay, so they're kooky. They're kind of from another planet in in some ways, but they're they're actually very rigid, kind of almost like Baptists. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it it makes sense. I don't know that I got that impression exactly, but I like to use an example toward toward the throughout the book they're discussing his hair right he's got this red spiky hair that he gels up and dyes and you know over time he he cuts his hair like by the end of the very end of the book he cuts his hair and it lets it be brown again and the little boy who's the little brother in the book is like what color are you gonna do it next are you gonna do it you know green like this or purple like this and he's like i think brown like me and so he's removed all the piercings he's removed the hair dye he's he's cut his hair and it just it seems like she's trying to make it say that he, she's trying to make it seem like he is now happy to be himself but what it feels like to me is this stripping away of personality like it i find that people who have lots of piercings and extreme hairstyles and you know crazy dyed hair are not are not doing that to be less themselves they're trying to express themselves and to say that taking all that away lets you be more yourself as the culminating event of the book just seems again a little
1: preachy see and I read it differently I read it that Jake was putting on all that stuff so that he would seem scary and edgy and that was kind of the point that was being made with him being so intentional about being bad like He wanted to look bad or look scary and, you know, quote unquote, um, so that he could be the bad boy. Not that he necessarily actually was, but he felt like that went along with it.
0: Well, I get that that was the intent, but to me, it just didn't feel that way. It felt like at the end when he could be himself, there was nothing like it just he was.
1: hmm, What am I trying to say? You're saying he conformed and there was nothing left of him.
0: A little bit. (laughs) yeah thank
1: you (laughs) and for me like i think i i give like i'm kind of give a pass to that part because for me the story switches and all the descriptions are all about jake and about you know and everything but to me this is ed's story
0: well so that's another thing is that who is the character (laughs) in this story because it goes back and forth it's not it's not A lot of books, it just feels intentional, like switching back and forth between two main characters. But in this one, it just feels a little haphazard. So I don't know. I'm not trying to just completely denigrate this book because it was it was a good read and I would recommend it to people. It's just that the things that didn't sit well with me. We
1: haven't finished telling the story. (laughs) That's true. Either. So uh, just to go back a minute. So. E.D. is peeved that Jake is there because she now is kind of in charge of him. And she, in her, you know, in her day-to-day schedule, she doesn't have time for him. The dog and the youngest, Applewhite, uh, take a huge liking to Jake. And he becomes kind of their caregivers. And that starts to change Jake. E.D. starts to see that Jake is actually not as bad as he likes everyone to think he is. And that starts to culminate into the dad wants to do a production of um, of Sound of Music.
0: The dad is uh, like a director of plays, and he gets hired to do like a local community theater production of the sound of music and because the board of directors has this woman with a horrible little daughter who is very bad at singing and the woman is insisting that her daughter get cast as the youngest von Trapp. um basically they they come to a, a point where they can't they can't reconcile it and so the community theater cancels having the play and they decide to stage the play then uh in the barn at this
1: at the school at the home school so everyone in the family starts to get involved
0: yeah they they do the set design and the production they do all the building and the art uh, they make all the costumes and even before it got moved to the barn they ended up casting jake as as rolf in the sound of music which this is see i feel like everything i say is negative but it was <laughs> It was because he ran into the kitchen singing one of the songs from The Sound of Music, which, one, unlikely, and two, this transformation, which I'm not denying that it could happen. It just seems so weird to me that a kid who's being portrayed as like tough and so aware and perceptive about his effect and his, his appearance to other people – and sort of his reputation would then be like, hell yeah, I want to sing these songs and have a love story and and let's do a musical. Like, it just,
1: I don't know. It just seems like a stretch. It doesn't to me. I can see where there's gaps that you, that, like, the reader has to fill in a little bit. And so if you're not willing to make that leap, I completely understand that. But it doesn't to me because I feel like, you know, if we get into, if we want to get into a discussion of like toxic masculinity, um, we could get into a discussion about even at 13 years old, Jake thinks that he's to posture and show that he's a, a tough guy. Mm-hmm. When meanwhile, he just wants to be in musical theater. And that's what kind of gets, <laughs> that's what kind of gets pulled out of him. And I think that's okay. And I think that's, um, I think that's all there, at least for me in my reading. But I get if, I get if it's not there for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, hmm. I'm just saying it seems unlikely in the context of this book specifically I like E.D.'s perspective more actually because it leaves a little bit more um, it's, it's less explicit, right? So she feels overlooked in this family of dramatic artistic people because she's organized and meticulous and likes lists and order which I get but When she does have these moments where she shines, like when it turns out that what's really needed the most is a stage manager to organize this entire crazy affair that they're doing and that she's vital, right? There's no point where it's spelled out and they say, and then she felt awesome about this. It was just like, she was like, oh, like and there's just like a nice little moment where it's not spelled out. Like you you can see what it's you can see what's happening, but it's the whole thing about like show, don't tell. And I feel like that happens for Edie and it's
1: told for Jake. And I find that more appealing. Okay, okay. I mean that's fair. That's fair. Then Mr. Applewhite actually casts a really div- like diverse cast. Oh, that's a whole um thing. that
0: the
1: Yeah, and the the that the um the community theater wouldn't have allowed, wouldn't wasn't going to allow anyway, and so that prompts a reporter to come to want to to interview um, Mr. Applewhite about this production and to see if, and to write about the production, and this reporter discovers that all of these, all of the people who are living at Whitsend are actually really well-renowned artists and artisans. Yeah, like the aunt is a poet,
0: and there's like a furniture maker. mm -hmm. Like all all the relatives are all separately famous in their fields for doing these artistic things. And he's like blown away that they all live in the same place and that they're actually the same family.
1: And for me, that was another point that I felt like was a turning point for Jake. Because he started – he actually saw that these artists, they were legitimate artists. They weren't just people who were living in the middle of nowhere like – making furniture you know like he saw that they actually were well known and that they were respected for what they did or what they do to me that was a turning i thought that was a turning point for jake as well i'll agree with that one
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'll allow it (laughs) okay and
1: then um then it comes time for the sound of music production to actually happen and there are technical difficulties
0: yeah, but not too much.
1: Isn't there, like, they were, They don't have power, right?
0: Well, so, but they make it all the way till the very end to, like, the second-to-last act, and then there's this huge thunderstorm, and the power goes out, but... So in the second-to-last act um, is the musical act at the end of the whole Von Trapp escape situation, and um, they end up having the audience sing along so as to drown out the thunder until it quiets down enough for them to do like do the last song i think and then the very last act the power actually goes out but um they had previously had these nuns carrying candles in the abbey and they used that to light the stage and it turned out that that was a really good presentation of it and made it seem just like a really wonderful production
1: goodbye farewell
0: alvidas and good (laughs) night i love that song um but was it just me or did you think the barn was going to burn down?
1: Oh, no, I didn't think the barn was going to burn down.
0: It felt like they were leading up to something and I didn't know whether like Jake was accidentally going to knock over one of those candles and then it would burn uh. down. And because of his like firebug reputation, which was not even like it whatever happened happen that the previous school is not spelled out. But he does say it was an accident. It's like, are they going to blame him? Or are they going to have to like stand up for him that they believe in him or whatever?
1: Well, this is the first in a series, evidently, which I, I think when it was written, it was not a series. And then she's written subsequent books um about the Apple Whites and possibly jake. I haven't I haven't looked into it. but um I think if I think that that might have been a little too on the nose, i I see what you're saying. and but I didn't even I didn't even think about that, and I'm glad that it's not in there. <laughs>
0: I just felt like something else like more climactic was going to happen.
1: You know, Jake found his true self with no hair dye, and I think that was pretty climactic.
0: I guess. <laughs> Maybe I just, I just didn't, didn't love it. <laughs> I
1: don't... Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that it ends a little, to me, it ends a little abruptly. Everything's kind of tied together in a bow, and everyone's content, even E.D., who had a lot of quibbles, but... You know, I think it's a lot of fun. I think the book is a lot of fun. I think that particularly for 2003, it brings up some issues that now we're having fully realized conversations about. Um, And I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, the diversity of the play was done in a weird way, too, for me. Like, I think that for the time, that was great but they talk so much about having a rainbow cast and a and a colorblind cast or a colorblind casting for the play and it just seems a little like they keep calling it like revolutionary and ooh so like daring and it just seems a little self congratulatory and i i know that there's so much more progress to be made but i think that one big part of the progress that has been made since this book came out was not to encourage colorblindness as a, as a philosophy about racism. Yeah. And so that was a little grading, but I think that at the time it made really good sense and it's something that, and it's phrased in such a way that I think would make the kids reading this think about those issues. It's just that I think that the conclusion that you should completely pretend that there is no racial difference Between people is wrong.
1: I I mean, honestly, I think that there's still people who say that. um, And that's still a defense. Yeah, that's still a defense that people pull out of their ears. So I grew up
0: thinking that saying I was colorblind or, or truly, you know, feeling that I was colorblind in that way was the best possible way to not be racist. And I think that kids reading this should have a discussion. If you're recommending this book to kids, I think you need to have a discussion about why that is not actually the most helpful way to deal with those issues.
1: I I think you're right. I mean, I think that there's a certain faction of people who will read this book and still think this is right on the money Mm -hmm. as far as um, how you talk about race with white kids and how you think about race yourself as a white person Um, And, but I think there's a large faction of people who have moved or tried to move past that. And I I think it's good to acknowledge that that progress has been made and that colorblindness really just perpetuates a a kind of blindness. It's not really, it's like a, a soft, nice racism. Something I strive for with my own child is, you know, that we see people's differences and we celebrate them.
0: Yeah, and um,
1: that was really brought
0: into focus by a paragraph toward the end where they're looking at these rave reviews of the play. And one of the reviews basically was like, after the first minute, like, you can't even tell she's black. Like, it's just... It, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It didn't land very well for me. And
1: I just think that, I don't know. I <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, so I, I know, I know like, what you're saying. Yeah. I agree with that part, definitely. And um, so, you know, I you know, this is a book that I would... I would talk about those issues with my child as as we read.
0: And, like, no shade on Stephanie Tolan because at, in 2002, like, that is an absolute, like, common progressive attitude, and I had it too. And that's why, like, it's such a subtle difference for some people that I just want to make sure that if anybody is – is reading this with, say, a class or whatever, that you make that a discussion point because I feel like it's really important.
1: And if you do not agree or do not understand what we're talking about, please take to the internet and educate <laughs> not yourself. <laughs> not, not a mean way. Not just, way. just educate. Just educate yourself, please.
0: Maybe we can, You know what we'll do? We'll put a couple links in our show notes, so if anybody's yeah. confused about this, this point at all, uh, we would love to help you. Not yeah. that we're the experts on this by any means. No, but... but- things i feel like
1: yeah i feel like we're trying and that's the that's what we can do and we're also two white ladies with a podcast about the newberry (laughs) and we um you know we do the best we can and and push as hard as we can to try to bring some understanding to and some context and to provide materials that will help uh growth Now, there were a
0: couple of things in this book that I feel like would make for good discussion points for like English classes in like fifth grade, maybe Mm -hmm. Um, like there were some uh, themes and metaphors that were that were useful. So like a lot of times I find that when people are writing children's books, they're writing books to entertain straight up. Right. And this book, I felt like she was trying specifically to incorporate some things that are reading-level appropriate metaphors, um, like the butterflies. So um, at the beginning of the book, Edie is doing this project where she's trying to find all the butterflies that are in her area and take pictures of them, and there's one butterfly that she can never, ever get. But Jake sort of horns in on her project because he has to have some kind of schoolwork to do, and he thinks he's helping by jumping in and he has ideas that are actually really good ideas which is great for his character growth but she's jealous um that he's having better ideas than she does and he comes up with the idea to collect these um caterpillars and and let them pupate and let the youngest applewhite whose name is destiny um see them grow and pupate as like a teaching exercise as part of the butterfly project and it turns out to be a really great idea and they feed these caterpillars and they pupate and they turn into butterflies and they grow and flourish and actually like become part of the family and flutter around the house and take part in the plot at the end um, and that seems like such a a metaphor for jake's progress in the book like it's even a black butterfly and he wears all black clothes and it rides around on the little boy's shoulders and he's like a special friend to the little boy. So there's just like things like that. If you are reading this in a school context, I think that would be really easily identifiable metaphors that kids could think about. It seems like a very teachable book, put it that way.
1: Yeah. And Especially- I think it is. I think it's used in a lot of classes. I would recommend Stephanie Toland's, um some of her other books. There's a um, she wrote like four different books about the family, the Skinner family. Um, where they go on vacation and they the mom goes on strike. So there's the Great Skinner Strike. There's the Great Skinner Enterprise, where they have a business. There's the Great Skinner Getaway. And then my all-time favorite was the Great Skinner Homestead. And it's about the family going on an RV trip for the summer and getting stranded in Appalachia and ending up learning how to live off the land and do pioneer things from the people that they meet in the small town in the small area where they get stranded. Um, so I really recommend those. I, it's been a while since I've read them. So if there's outdated, um, attitudes about race and stuff like that, I apologize and, um, have conversations with your small children about those if they are there. Um, and then the other, the other book that this reminded me of is everything on a waffle by Polly Horvath. Um, so it's about this young girl whose parents have been lost. She's convinced that they are not lost at sea, but she ends up being raised by the people in the town and there are recipes in it. And it's very, very, very touching. Of course, has this big cast of kooky characters.
0: And everything on a waffle is a Newberry. So we will cover that one eventually.
1: Thank you so much for listening to our episode on surviving the apple whites by uh, Stephanie Tolan. Next up, we're going to be talking about um, Across the Universe by Ann M. Martin. Please rate and review us on whatever whatever platform you're listening. It helps other people find the podcast and helps the podcast going. See you next time. Bye.
0: Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Music for this podcast is provided by the laid back and local Throckmorton ukulele band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's
1: N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.